The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org slash thrive. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey, (sighs) Well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. You're listening to UnityOnlineRadio.org, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Dan Beckett. Yes, welcome to the Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We are glad you're with us today. I'm Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. Together, we share ways that spirituality and addiction recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your own recovery journey. Facebook users, you can send us your questions and comments anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the send message button right below the banner. And be assured that your anonymity will always be respected. So please let us know what's on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. Today's show is titled Courage to Change. It takes courage and integrity to walk an addiction recovery path. If we persist, we will come to know ourselves as the spiritual beings we truly are. But first, we must trek through the wreckage of our past. In order to move into the light, we must face our shadow. Today, we want to share our experience, strength, and hope on finding a path through the shadow to the light. So we want to share with you today what we were like before, what happened, and what we are like now, along with a spiritual tool or principle that helped guide us through the tough times. We hope you'll find something in our experience that will help you on your own recovery journey. So today we're going to be talking about moving from living in the shadows to a lightness of being, and it's through the principle of the courage to change. So when I think about, you know, we're, we're kind of starting with that idea or that concept of what we're calling living in the shadows. Yeah. And what comes to mind for me is that I was and still am, but not nearly as much, um, a fairly private person, right? I don't want anybody, you know, sharing my, what I consider my personal business or whatever. And especially when I was younger, I used to be super quiet you know, I basically would not tell anyone what was going on with me in general. That was my, that was my default or my fallback. You know, it's not like I never did. I certainly have and, and could, but in general, uh, I was not looking to be sharing 
personal information about myself uh, with anybody. So that almost by definition, I'm kind of living in the shadows, meaning I'm, I'm watching what's going on. I'm, I am well aware of what's happening around me, but I'm not really um, participating in that quite so much. You know, it's that kind of observer um, way of being in the world, which is kind of uh, my, my default wiring is first and foremost I want to understand what's going on and how things work. And then I feel comfortable engaging. So part of my spiritual development work, of course, is to realize that I don't have to understand how everything works before I can engage Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and watch for that tendency and push my boundaries on that and engage even when I'm not sure that I understand how everything works. But living in the shadows for me, the first thing that comes to mind is just being a private person mm-hmm. and not not readily sharing everything that's going on with me. So you were almost like literally living in the shadows. <laughs> right, that's I in my mind I have a mental image of yeah. stand like the wallflower at a dance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Standing over open nobody notices me watching everything that's going on so I can kind of figure it out. Yeah, so when I think about the experience of living in the shadows, for me what cuz I'm the opposite, I'm a very gregarious person um but for me the part that was in the shadows was my own self like I was uh my own um uh I a lack of self-awareness and self-understanding and a lack of being connected or even like clued into my own self you know so maybe being very outer focused as a sort of a compensation of not not having the ability to be self-reflective and um to be in touch with myself you know often folks will say in 12-step meetings or in AA or whatever you know that I drank because I was uncomfortable in my own skin. So that's what I'm talking about, that sort of uncomfortable in my own skin kind of experience. And, um, you know, it took me a lot of work and years of, you know, therapy and 12-step work and everything to find out what all those things were that were in there that were causing me to want to not be in my own skin or not be in touch with myself. Um, And that is for me is a process of self-awareness, right? So first I have to become aware of what's even going on with me before, and that, that's a long process. I mean, it's not that the healing can sort of begin, but you're still, you know, I mean, I'm still to this day engaged in that, you know, increasing my own awareness of myself and what's going on with me and, and that kind of thing. But that was very much in the shadows. And it was in the shadows because I felt so bad about myself all the time, because I was so shame based, that I couldn't stand to have any self because self reflection to me meant reflecting on how bad I feel about myself. And there wasn't anything wrong with me. I wasn't any kind of a bad person, you know, but I had all that um, messaging of my childhood and everything that that caused me to feel bad about myself. And so, of course, I didn't want to be in my own skin. That hurt. It hurt to be in my own skin. Yeah. And alcohol did a really good job of easing that for me, you know. So it Amen. served its purpose. <laughs> yeah. You preach into the drunk choir over yeah. here. I know all about that. And as we say, it works till it doesn't. Yeah. Right. But man, when it worked, 
it worked really good yeah it was great for the first 10 years you know everything was just fine but that's not where it ended <laughs> um so i'm 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 thinking and and given what you're sharing just like me i mean we have different issues but we're both out of balance right, right. and so one ongoing complication is if i'm reluctant to share about myself because i'm generally private then i am not developing the skills of that kind of connection so i'm going through life not developing connection skills that other people are developing because they're not reluctant like I am Mm -hmm. and I get out of balance in that way. So even when I wanted to, I didn't know how to express what was going on within me. And that's sort of the, um, you know, it's the double whammy, if you will. Uh, And I'm hearing it in what you're saying too, you know, you're reluctant to turn within. So you're not developing the skills of self understanding but you know which means you just get to do it later and that's what i did i i got to do it later i was going to say had to but i prefer to say got to i got the privilege of learning um you know how to share about myself be comfortable and confident about doing so much much later in life like way later yeah because i just didn't develop those skills as a kid i it makes it harder. Not only do I not want to do it, I don't even know how if I did. Yeah. So it's interesting you said, you know, developing that ability to be able to share about yourself. So I had such great compensatory skills. I could talk about myself all day long, <laughs> you know, and I still can, yeah. and I'm happy to do that. Um, <laughs> but that didn't mean I was in touch with myself because I had learned a way to talk about myself that didn't require me to get in touch with those yucky, horrible feelings that I did not want to touch. And frankly, and I'm just going to say this for the record, needed as a young, as a teenager and as a young adult needed to not touch because I didn't have the support or the skills to do that. So alcohol Ah. really saved my life. Yes. I'm um, I'm so glad you said that because briefly the reason we did what we did is because we needed to we needed and it served us at that time the problem is we carry it forward i carry it forward even after it's no longer necessary yeah Yeah, sorry i I jumped in but no no no, that's okay i totally yeah because i mean when i think about it i think about being a teenager and just you know this low-grade chronic depression that i had and feelings of feelings of guilt and shame and and insecurity and everything that I didn't even know what they were about and no one would have said that about me because I was very outgoing. I was, you know, I was uh, popular, not super popular, but you know, I was popular enough. I was, you know, involved in school activities and everything. Nobody would have thought that I had those feelings inside. Um, And teenagehood is tough, man. I mean, I, I, I rem- and so not only did alcohol save my life, cigarettes saved my life too, because I can remember days that I had a hard time getting up and getting ready for school, like in high school. And I would tell myself that if I could just get myself into my car, I could have a cigarette. And that got me to school. So sometimes wow. we are dealing with really painful stuff, you know, and I had no idea what any of that was about for the longest time. So that's a real different type of being in the shadows. It's like literally my shadow issues, you know, literally all this repressed stuff that I had, had I tried, you know, 
it just, I, I needed, I needed those things for me to survive because I had no skills or support to be able to deal with those feelings that I had inside. I didn't even know I was having those feelings. I thought I was happy go lucky. You know, a lot of this is only apparent to me in retrospect. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I don't think I ever knew that you smoked. Have we ever talked about that? Cause I've, I smoked and <laughs> I joke about it because I mean, it wasn't that long ago that I quit. Honestly, yeah. it's been four years, maybe. Yeah. And uh, yeah. No, but I haven't had still, a cigarette in 27 years. So if I ever get <laughs> it was a long time ago. That was a long time ago. Very if long I ever get ago. diagnosed with some dire, um, you know, terminal disease, I tell my wife, I'm going to start smoking when that happens or when I turn 80, whatever comes first. <laughs> <laughs> i mean it's I a like, hard one I to like give up tobacco and everything to do with it except everything to do with it you know right. i like all the upside and none of the downside but yeah. it was my friend when i needed it oh oh man yeah tell me about it, it you yeah know? exactly it worked till it didn't yeah and i've heard i've had other people say you know anyone can smoke in their 20s it's no big deal but when you're in your 50s and smoking, I mean, I had a friend that said it was literally killing me. Yeah. And I knew, yeah. you know, when he was expressing his own past to, to quitting tobacco. And I know that if I started again today, and I could any time, I mean, yeah. we could be done here and I could get in my car and go to the gas station, buy cigarettes. If I ever did that, then I would very quickly find myself in that very place that my friend described where this is killing me and I know it. Yeah. And yeah. I just you know, unfortunately, I say, unfortunately, that's how much I love tobacco products. Yeah. Unfortunately, so incredibly uh, go addictive. There. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going there. So um, I'm thinking about how, so I talk sometimes about being an introvert, right? And, and one reason we have so much fun is because I'm an introvert and you're an extrovert. And <laughs> so this shows up in this, this theme about, you know, the shadow living in the shadow, sort of watching what's going on, not participating and whatnot is, um, you know, the people say things like, oh yeah, I'm gonna go to this party so I can meet new people. And I'm like, why on earth would you ever want to do that? That That's no, dude, that's the, I am not going to that party. So I don't have to meet new people. And you're telling me you want to go so that you can, why? So why? you know, it's like, oh, we're going to go drop bowling balls on our feet. Oh, that sounds good. Why on earth would you do that? That's how much of a, you know, I'm a, I'm a card carrying introvert. Oh, and so that, you know, all these things work together to sort of support the way that I was showing up in the world at that time. And then of course, to, you know, start to bring drinking into it. I absolutely did not want anyone to know how yeah. much I was drinking. So we talk about, you know, being private, keeping things private. I, I was, I, I was very motivated that people did not really understand how much alcohol I was consuming. Mm -hmm. yeah. yeah. You probably had that too. Well, I didn't really get, you know, that far to that point, but I had sort of the opposite and I think we need to shift into our next segment, but I, ha I had the opposite thing where I had no boundaries and I would tell you all about myself. <laughs> including you know? how much you drink yeah i mean wow. especially get a few drinks in me and i'd tell you my life story because i just had no boundaries i had no sense Jeez. that i had a right to my own privacy i knew it extroverts are weird i, I knew yeah. there was something but yes we do need to uh shift gears we've talked a lot here about the challenge of 
or the experience really of living in the shadows but yeah. we always as we do we uh, tell our story but then it's important to move out of the problem and into the solution so what is that today well in unity as we know we affirm that all of life is governed by spiritual principles and the spiritual principles that we have found helpful in moving out of that living in the shadows and moving into a lightness of being is this courage to change you know this courage to change and so that's what we're going to be talking about today and when i hear that like a lot of things in recovery you know i i will remember when i first hear an idea or a concept or a slogan i was like well what does that even mean yeah to me? you know that's nice and it sounds good uh, and i want that but what, what does that look like you know how does one go about finding for example finding the courage to change it sounds good it seems like something i would want to do but what does that actually look like in my life what what was that what did it look like for you well i'm gonna tell you straight up i don't change until it gets absolutely too incredibly painful to not change i'm just saying that may not be entirely true now now i've gotten better at it but certainly for me along the way pain has been my biggest motivator so i gotta get in a lot a lot of pain before I'm willing to do the really challenging, difficult, and also painful work of looking at some of this stuff, you know? I mean, it's not like I was just lazy or just didn't want to. I mean, we're talking stuff that's really painful and hard to look at, you know? And so I would have to, for example, you know, I've talked many times on this show about how my bottom was really not about alcohol. My bottom was really about relationships, but the alcohol was very intertwined with all of that. Um, I would have to get in a lot, a lot of pain over yet another relationship that was ending, you know, and uh, to be like, why, why, why do I keep doing this to myself, you know, and it wasn't fun to be in those places. It just was not fun at all. But those were the times of the greatest shifts for me, um, because pain is a great motivator you know human beings are not terribly fond of change you know we got to really have some umph behind us to want to change you know it's it's hard it's hard to change those ingrained patterns those uh, family of origin issues that we don't even realize are driving us until we just get so damn miserable that we're you know I got so damn miserable that I was willing to do I can remember you know, literally in fetal position on the floor in my apartment over yet another failed relationship and calling up my sponsor and saying, okay, I'm done. I'll do whatever it takes. And I know that's the bottom that people, a lot of people get to with substance. For me, it was relationship stuff that just took me down. And so that was it. I was willing to do what it took because I couldn't be in that kind of pain anymore. Yeah, I'm with you on that. And, you know, I can't count the times I've heard that that saying that I've never let go of anything that didn't have claw marks. <laughs> it's all tore up. Like, and oh everything. my gosh. Yeah. When I heard someone say that the first time, I remember thinking, you know, I didn't know that. I didn't realize that about myself, but I'm exactly like that. And it must be, you know, I suspect that we humans are wired for um, some reluctance to change, just some basic survival stuff. I'm yeah. guessing, you know, I'm no social scientist, but there's got to be something to it. It's not just um, 
addicts, alcoholics, and codependents that are like this. I think all people are like this to at least to some extent. All right. So courage to change. What did that mean to me? Well, one of the things I learned early on was this acronym. And I might ask, well, how can I get sober? How can I do that? And those three letters in the word how, H-O-W, stand for three important principles, honest, open-minded, and willing. That's how I do it. Mm -hmm. So I had to begin by and willingness you could put that in front of everything willing to be honest you know willing to share with somebody even if it's just you know my my recovery buddies in the parking lot before or after the meeting smoking cigarettes um maybe it's with them that I could begin to share once I became comfortable because I heard other people doing the same things I've heard people tell stories about things that they had done in the past in a meeting that I was like, oh my God, I would never tell anyone that I had done stuff like that. But I, but I quickly learned, thank goodness, from their example that it's okay yeah. to tell these stories that outside of that context, you know, people would be aghast yeah. at it, right? But in that context, we're all just laughing and smiling and we've all got our own version of the same <laughs> Uh, crazy stuff that we've done. So that's courage to change means to me to take up those tools of being honest, open-minded and willing first and foremost. You know, I was just thinking it's kind of funny that I, you can pretty much say that no one is ever shocked in an AA meeting. Like if you think you're going to shock someone with what you're going to share, you're not going to shock anybody. I guarantee no matter what you share in that meeting, somebody has got a worse story to share. You know, and that's just kind of part of the the thing is like, we think that what we've gone through is so horrific, or that what we've done is so bad. And then, you know, there's somebody that's got a worse story. So it kind of puts things into perspective. Yeah, so I think I was speaking really to the willingness aspect of that, that for me, it took being in a lot of pain in order to be willing pain was that motivator for me. Um, I certainly watched how other people did it you know I watched um I watched the I mostly went to women's meetings from early early on in my sobriety someone suggested me to me that I try to hang out primarily at women's meetings and for me that was the right advice you know um I watched how the other women handled their relationships and how they walked through difficult things and um that helped me a lot another thing that helped me was, um, well, or even would have helped me had I understood this better back then, is that we don't have to change all at once, you know, we don't have to fix everything about ourselves, or even really fix anything about ourselves, but we don't have to do it all at once. This is a process. And this is a long game. This is not a short game. You know, this is this is a long game. And there's no rush to the finish line. You don't win a prize for doing all your steps in the first year. You, you know, to me, there's no real benefit in rushing through any of this. This is, this is the path that I'm walking for this lifetime, you know? And so I can take it easy. It's one of our sayings, right? I can take, take it easy and I can just work on the next thing that's indicated to me. Now, I guarantee that if, we give permission to the universe or to God or to our higher selves. If we say, you know, I want to change, I want to do this work. I really want to work on some of these issues. 
the universe will roll out the curriculum very nicely for us. We don't need to go looking for the next thing. The next thing will be presented in oh so obvious of a way should we have eyes to see, right? So um, if we just work on the next issue that's coming up, you know, and, um, and most things that come up in our lives that you know, mostly when, if I get upset with someone or something, you know, people, places, and things are driving me crazy, it's because there's something that's getting touched in me that needs tending to. And so that's the curriculum for me. That's the universe saying, this is what you got to do next. And then I need to tend to whatever that is. And I need to bring that self-awareness and that step work and, you know, the support and guidance of my sponsor or minister or whoever to help me to know what work it is mine to be done. Yeah, I'm remembering, and I mentioned before, I think that I just read Ram Dass's um, Be Here Now, and that's a point that he makes in that book is uh, don't go looking for a guru. You're, you're already headed down the wrong path if you're doing that. Those are my words. Uh, if a guru is necessary and in order and the time is right, that teaching teacher will appear. Like mm-hmm. you're saying, the curriculum will be there. Uh, when you're ready or what's that old saying when when the student is ready the teacher appears Uh, I found that to be true over and over and over again I think it's a matter of perception I all of a sudden see what I wasn't seeing when I'm ready right but that's absolutely been my experience as well so one of the willingnesses right so in a way um, if I can be honest and open-minded then I can begin to be willing to do other things like keep showing up that was for me that was an easy one to do i'm not sure why maybe cuz i genuinely enjoyed for the most part the camaraderie and the um company of a of a recovery group and the recovery community meetings and yeah i mean i did have to drag myself out of the house sometimes it felt like but i almost did that same thing it's like oh i can go smoke and talk to so and so you know and we'll make jokes and it'll be fun um, <laughs> So willingness just to keep showing up. And we, we call that suit up and show up. Yep. And I know, I knew that if I were willing to do that, that, that the, the opportunities that I needed for my ongoing recovery would be there when needed. All I had to do was show up in the place where they're also likely to show up, which was in the recovery community. You know, I've heard the phrase meeting makers make it. And uh, my experience is that that is true because meeting makers keep showing up to the place where growth opportunities appear. Now, you still have to walk through the doors that open. You know, just showing up and not walking through the doors uh, might not work. But uh, I knew that I had to show up in order for the, to, for the doors to open that I could then uh, walk through to whatever it might be, step work or, or what have you. You know how that is. Yeah, the other thing that I really wanted to mention before we wrap this part up about the courage to change is that I gained the courage because of my developing relationship with the God of my understanding. That's what, you know, this wasn't something that I was going to be able to do on my own. Um, Yes, I needed the help of a sponsor, but more than anything, I needed to begin to open myself up to the unconditional love of God because that was what was going to begin to heal me enough so that I could even feel good enough about myself that I could begin to look at some of these things. So 
my sponsor used to always say, put HP in your pocket. And that's sort of shorthand for just, you know, God is part of every aspect of this journey. I'm really glad you said that. And I hope we can get more into that because I'm with you. But let's hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we will continue the conversation. Please stay with us. Are you a healthcare professional looking to translate psychedelic research into practice? Then register for Psychedelic Harm Reduction and Integration, a professional training offered by psychologist Elizabeth Nielsen and Ingmar Gorman at the Omega Institute in Rhinebeck, New York, May 24th through 26th. Earn 12 continuing education credits as you discover how to better support clients who have an interest in psychedelics. Learn more at eomega.org thrive. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. Welcome back. We are glad you're with us today. If you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Dan Beckett here with co-host Reverend Michelle Vargas. We'll resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to remind you that you can send us your questions and feedback anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Message us from there and let us know what's on your mind. Sorry. You needed to use the number one phrase of 2020 and 2021. You're on mute. Oh, yeah, right. <laughs> Zoom culture. <laughs> so prior to the break, we were discussing first uh, living that experience of living in the shadows and what that was like. Then we moved into talking about the courage to change. So now we're going to talk about how the courage to change has helped us to move out of that experience of living in the shadows into really living into this lightness of being. I love that lightness of being. Yeah. Feels good. It does feel good. And that is how I want to live. And sometimes I'm definitely there and other times I'm not there. You know, it just, (laughs) it can, it could be within the same day or certainly days within the same week and some Mm -hmm. times of life feel heavier than others but in general I like to I like to think that um, I am more and more able to live from that in that experience of a lightness Mm -hmm. being in fact I just printed out I'll hold it up so you can see it Michelle but I know Uh I'm going to read it for our listeners so from Proverbs chapter three I love this one uh verses five and six read trust in the lord with all your heart and do not rely on your own insight in all ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths Mm -hmm. now this is very old language of course and we might say you know trust in the christ consciousness within you you know with your inner guidance and don't rely on your ego yes which are you know based uh, substantially in fear in all ways acknowledge that presence of the spirit within and it will show you the way forward that's yes. how i might paraphrase that in unity terms but i don't need to do that i like it exactly the way it is i'm going to stick this on my wall it's a it's a it's literally just a page that i printed with a nice colored background for it so um courage to change and a lightness of being when i can do what this proverb is saying I find myself much more often with a a lightness of being in the world. So uh, one example in in recovery, 
and this of course is ongoing but one thing that i need courage is to admit to myself you know what's going on some of my um, bad behavior or you know less than ideal mental patterns and traps that we get into you know getting irritated about stuff or or whatever it might be um and when i can do that when i when i do have the courage and the willingness of course which underlies all of this to admit to myself something then the, the a door has opened i'm saying that a lot today but i'm really seeing that image of an opportunity as a door opening so that a door is open and if i walk through it there is a lightness of being on the other side mm-hmm. that, that i have not experienced every little bit of healing whether it's a small bit or medium or some significant uh, healing brings with it a lightness of being that i have found to be permanent mm-hmm. from that point forward that's mm-hmm. one of the most wonderful things about all this is when i am truly willing to engage something and when i'm truly willing to participate fully uh, in the healing once it is done it is done forever i never have to deal with that piece again and if i do that just means i thought i was done but there's another layer that i wasn't aware of i still let go of the thing i did um, but there's more work to be done and uh, what I love about it is that that um, relief, that lightness, and it does feel that way. It feels like, you know, that old saying, a weight is off my shoulders. It feels like that yes. like weight is off my shoulders, and I do feel lighter, and it, and, I, and it remains as such. That's one of the most amazing and wonderful things about all of this. Now, of course, I got other things to work on, too. I'm not saying right. that, but the more I, the more I jettison, the lighter... I can be. In yes. The world. Yes. And it stays. Yes. We carry so much heaviness with us sometimes, you know, just carrying these things from our childhoods or from our youth or whatever, all this stuff that we don't need to be carrying. But like you say, we've got to do the work. Uh, I've been working for a number of years now with a gentleman who uh, he's sort of a spiritual director slash counselor sort of guy. He calls them bubbles. So there's there's all these bubbles of um, like wounding or whatever. And so every time we go into our, he has his own process that he does. Every time we go into the process and we do the visualization and we do this stuff, you know, we pop a bubble. We pop one of those bubbles. And it's like you said, that bubble is gone forever. That instant in time, it's a lot of inner child work. That instant in time where I was wounded and what that wounding was causing me to act in certain ways that bubble is popped forever but there are all kinds of other bubbles other instances around it so I love this idea where it's like pop 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 you know just trying to pop as many of them as I can so that I can begin to live into that lightness of being you know A lot of things were a revelation to me when I got into the 12-step program and started uh, having people you know, call me out on my behavior or, or talk about, you know, things that I needed to look at. I was, I, because I was so shame-based, I had gotten so good at projecting crap out that I was not guilty of anything. You know, I mean, I was just projecting it all out there. Everybody, and I still can do this sometimes, you know, it's sort of my go-to. If there's something that I'm feeling bad about inside, I'm going to project it out as fast as I can. 
you know, and so, so having done a lot of work on this, and especially working through the book Eye of the Storm, which is a unity, you know, sort of classic or whatever, and I think is an incredibly helpful book. Um, I've learned that when I'm doing that, when something is triggered in me, it's something in me that needs to be healed, you know, and so I have two choices. I can continue to project it out onto the other person or the other people, or I can look at what's getting triggered in me. Um, that takes a certain amount of healing just to get to that point where I even can look at that, right? And I need to have a lot of support on board, support of my higher power, the support of maybe a counselor or a minister or sponsor, um, so that I can begin to look at those things with some guidance. But um, that was a revelation to me that, you know, that I was responsible for my own behavior, that these people were not making me do these things. These people were not making me miserable. Um, the idea that I had even any responsibility was quite a revelation to me. I can't say it's one that I was terribly fond of, but it's, as I always like to say, it's the good news and the bad news. It's the bad news because, oh my God, it's, it's on me, but it's the good news because, oh, I'm the one that can change it. So that was all new information for me. Yeah, I mean, I can, I laugh as you say that. I know, in a, in a way, it was way better when it was all them. Yes. But, the, of course, there's no way out of that. That's a, that's a dead end. There's no way out of that, except what you just described. That's the way out. Yeah. For better or for worse. Um, another thing that helped me is hearing others share about their past. And having the courage to identify with them, you know, rather than compare. Mm -hmm. I heard that advice a lot, especially at what we called speaker meetings, right? Where um, it wasn't group sharing. Somebody would get up front and, and tell their story yeah. of their uh, recovery. At those meetings, the helpful uh, suggestion was always to see what I could identify with and not um, compare against. So, oh, I never did that. I wasn't like that. I didn't live like that or, or what have you, but have the courage to look for points of contact. Mm -hmm. uh, that helped a lot because, you know, being disconnected was part of my mm -hmm. um, challenge, as I shared before about um, not being gear geared towards engagement with people, not having skills to share what was going on with me. Uh, put me in a fairly disconnected place. And so just by identifying with what people were saying, I didn't have to even talk to the person after. I'm not saying I went up to him after the meeting and said, I mean, I may or may not have, that's not the point though. Whether I did anything like that or not, in my own mind, as I heard them share, even if I didn't go where they went or do what they did, I felt the way they felt. Mm -hmm. And I could say, I know what that feels like I think mm -hmm. I know what that feels like or I can mm -hmm. feel that too and so just making that little points of connection each one kind of like I like your bubble popping I don't know if that's the same as popping a bubble but it does bring a little bit of lightness with it each mm -hmm. and every time mm -hmm. I do it and so that's a way that you know having courage to change it helped me move out of shadow and into light is the the courage to be present and to identify and instead of defend, right? We have the saying, cease fighting with anyone or anything. Well, if I'm listening to someone tell their story and I'm saying, oh, I didn't do that. Well, I'm not like that. I'm, I'm fighting them. Yeah. I'm fighting myself, you know, using their words. Um, but if I'm just willing to 
uh, be open and to make connections, then I'm not fighting anymore. And I have a much, you know, I, I experience a lightness of being. Yeah, I think I've learned now that whenever I find myself defending myself, I'm into a shadow issue. There's some part of myself that has been repressed, some part of myself that I have deemed unacceptable and have repressed into the shadow. And that's what I'm defending. I'm trying to take the heat off of myself. So that's not a lot of fun. That's kind of painful, but it's a clue to me when I'm getting defensive, that there's something there that is wounded in me. And so now I have a process, you know, now I can take that thing and I can hold it and, and give it love and send it unconditional love and, um, and be a witness to it. And to me, that's, that's like shining a light on it. It's like shining a light. And, And when we shine a light on the repressed parts of ourselves is when they begin to heal. Yeah, I love that what you were talking about, about sharing with people. That's such a wonderful experience that you can have this person walk into a meeting that doesn't look anything like you, comes from a totally different walk of life, and you're going, oh, they're nothing like me. And then they start talking, and you're like, oh, my God, (laughs) oh, my God, I felt the same way, or they're telling my story, or whatever. You know, I've heard it said that we all suffer from this sort of terminal uniqueness, you know, we think that we're all so darned unique. And it turns out that we all share very, you know, share a lot of really similar feelings, if not the experiences themselves may be different, but the feelings that we have um, so many commonalities that we can relate to. And then that relating to that is what breaks through those layers of protection that, you know, says I, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one who feels this way. Other people feel this way too. And that might give me the courage to change or the courage to even look at the thing that needs to be changed, you know? So I've mentioned a lot, you know, I, I was so shame based that I felt so crappy about myself. Let's put it into that language. When I really let myself feel, I felt so crappy about myself that I couldn't bear to look at those things. So I had to start sort of feeling less crappy about myself if I was going to do this work, you know, and one of the ways that I did that was through developing a relationship with the God of my understanding and allowing that unconditional love of God to begin to heal me. That's crucial to me. You know, there's no spiritual part of the program that this, it is a spiritual program. One of the things I learned was that it was okay for me to make mistakes Now, that was an absolute revelation to me. I somehow learned as a child growing up, I don't know if I taught it to myself or circumstances taught it to me or what, but that I needed to be perfect. And so if I made a mistake, I would have such a shame attack that I had to take the heat off of myself. And that's how I started learning to project stuff out, right? So when people said to me in the program, it's okay, you made a mistake, big deal. I was like, what? Like you can do that? Like I can just make a mistake and it doesn't mean I'm a horrible person, like the scum of the earth on the bottom of your shoe. Cause that's what I felt like when I made a mistake. And I still, to this day, if I make a mistake can have that reaction of just like, Oh my God, I'm, I'm just like worthless. It's ridiculous, but it's there, you know? And so when people started to tell me it's okay to make mistakes, mistakes is how we learn you're, you're human that began to um, to 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 sort of begin to chip away at that perfectionism that I had 
adopted to protect myself from how horrible I felt about myself. I thought that if I could just be perfect and never make mistakes, that I wouldn't have to feel bad about the mistakes I made. And what I learned from all of the folks in the rooms was that, no, I could make mistakes that made me human. Other people made them too. And that this God of my understanding that I was developing a relationship with loved me anyway. That was the beginning Uh, of a healing for me. Absolutely. Yeah, I can see that. I'm thinking that uh, another thing that took courage for me was to get a sponsor, right? So I'd heard over and over and over, and I agree with this, and I would echo this advice. You know, somebody wants to get uh, clean and sober, what do you do? Um, Get a sponsor, join a home group, and go to 90 meetings in 90 days. You know, that's the sort of jumpstart procedure that I've heard so many times that has worked that worked for me that I've seen work for others. Anyway, Mm -hmm. getting a sponsor. Now, in light of what I shared before about my reluctance to get involved, uh, to not share with what's going on. I mean, to go to a meeting and to listen and show up and all of that uh, was a good way for me to begin. But Getting the courage to approach someone and ask, would you be my sponsor, was a whole different thing. And then once I had, now I had to actually, you know, move forward with that sponsor-sponsor relationship. And, you know, I don't want to make it into too big a thing. I, I did it, but I also want to acknowledge it took courage for me to do that. It would have been easy for me to kind of just camp out and, you know, not, not really, do that part right i'm not ready yet or or whatever it might be but i'd heard from enough people how important it was and i was motivated enough as you talked about in the first half motivated by pain and bad experience enough to um, want to do the things that worked so when i heard people all over the place all agreeing this is important and this works i was willing to to do those things mm-hmm. so having the courage to get a sponsor and then of course to work with that sponsor to talk with them and and we had a lot of good times you know going out to denny's or waffle house after mm-hmm. the meeting or whatever mm-hmm. and just kind of checking in you know how's life how's it going how's the kids and, mm-hmm. and yeah and so the the step work that relates to what we're talking about today is of course the fourth step and that's one of the most i think important roles of a sponsor is to sort of receive or hear that fourth step. Um, My sponsor was a saint, I'll tell you. I mean, I had a fourth step that could have been made into a, like a novel, like a multi-volume novel, you know, epic, you know, and God bless her. She sat with me for hours, hours while I just went through all of it, you know, and she wasn't shocked by any of it. She didn't think any of it was shameful. She shared with me that similar things had occurred in her life. Um, That took a big chunk of that shame layer, just sort of peeled one of the layers of shame off of me when I had shared every horrible thing that I could think of about myself or ways that I felt about myself and things that I had done and shared that with my sponsor. And she loved me anyway that was sort of God acting through her in that point, in that, you know, instance. 
um, she was shining that unconditional love of God on me. And um, that's a beautiful thing, you know, probably one of the most beautiful things that's ever happened to me in my life was that that day that she sat there with me for hours and, and heard my whole fourth step and the healing that came out of that. So um, it's a very powerful process. Again, you know, the shadows, shadow, shadow elements or shadow aspects of ourselves are things about ourselves that for whatever reason we have deemed unacceptable. We were told they were unacceptable. We believed they were unacceptable. And so we repressed them. And when things are repressed, they, uh, they come out sideways, as we like to say, you know, they're, they're sort of down there in the dungeon, but they're running the show. You know, they're very much they're The way I've heard it is it's like, they're, there's a part, there's, there's this inherent need in our souls to heal, right? And so those things that have been relegated to the shadow are just dying to come up into the light. That's why they keep showing up. They're like, hello, I'm down here in the dungeon. Get me out, please, you know, please release me. And so when we do this work, when we share that fourth step with someone, we are bringing those things up out of the dungeon and into the light where our sponsor shines their light on it. God shines God's light on these things and they begin to heal. And that's the beauty of this process. Yeah, I love that imagery. That's a wonderful way to put it. And I totally identify with that experience. I remember where I was when I wrote my fourth step out. And I remember where I was when I shared my fourth step, those, you know, some memories stick as an image. I know I could get in the car and drive to the place where I wrote it out and sit in the chair where I sat. Yeah. And, and, you know, sometimes people would ask, well, how long did it take you to do your four step? I know exactly how long it took. It took three months and 45 minutes, it took <laughs> three months of putting it off. But once I sat down literally with a legal pad and a pen, it took 45 minutes to write out wow. however many pages it was. It doesn't matter. But once I had the courage to begin, it was easy thereafter. Right. And of course, you know, I add things as I go over the years, just like Mm -hmm. when we make amends, you know, we don't can't you can't do them all at once. And then things come to mind like, oh, yeah, I didn't think about that. Um, But I sat and and wrote that thing out after putting it off. And my sponsor was wonderful because he didn't pressure me Mm -hmm. to do it. But that's the step we were on. You know, Mm -hmm. and that's what I was (laughs) not doing. I'm seriously literally three months um, until I got to it, but that's just what I needed. You know, that was the, that was what I needed in order to get it done. Because as someone who's not generally, uh, jumping up to share stuff, that was a very, very big deal. And I did it sometime in my first year. I don't remember exactly when, um, you know, it was probably well into it. I'm going to guess, but it was in the first, um, 12 months, probably in after nine, I'm going to say, But we have had a whole lot to say about this, so let's step way back, if we can, as we do each week, and find a simple way to sum it up. Yes, we've just talked about all this, but if we had to kind of compress it in in our scenario, if someone walked up to you and said, how can I um, get out of this quagmire of addiction and create a life worth living, one that it's easier and less burdensome, how can I do this? What would you say if you had like one minute? Oh my goodness. (laughs) That is a very big question. Uh, you know, the, the usual stuff, get a sponsor, go to meetings, you know, uh, but 
I, let's let's assume that we already know those things. I would say the most important thing is this relationship with the higher power. Uh, make that a priority in your life. You know, getting to know the God of your understanding, whether it's God, spirit, you know, source, whatever you call it, spend time with it, spend time communing with it, communicating with it, develop that relationship, because that is the relationship that is going to power you through this process. We do not do this alone. We do this in partnership with our higher power. So think of it like a partnership or a friendship that you want to develop so that when you start doing this stuff, you have that 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 partner that higher power on board with you that's what's going to give you the courage to change truly yeah um, that's what's coming to mind too is that we don't do this alone my my one minute pitch would be you know take a deep breath and relax you can do this others have done it in fact go find others who have done it and are doing it which means of course the recovery community and listen to what they have to say to do that you need to go to meetings right? Go to 90 meetings in 90 days, join a home group, get a sponsor and listen to what others are saying. Don't talk, listen. And just bear in mind that, you know, the HOW, how to be honest, open-minded and willing as much as possible, you know, each step of the way, we all just do the best we can. Nobody's doing it perfect. And you'll quickly learn that uh, if you go start hanging around in the recovery community. So take a deep breath and find some fellow travelers, listen and do what they're doing. Yes. And also take it one day at a time. Absolutely. Just do what's in front of you today and take it easy. There's a reason we have those wonderful sayings. Well, our affirmation today is just what we've been talking about. So just to affirm it for you once more, with my higher power on board, I have the courage to change. Yes, with my higher power on board, I have the courage to change. Well, it's happened again. You've given yourself the gift of another hour listening to Spirit of Recovery, and we are grateful We hope that you found something in all of our bumbling today that will be genuinely helpful to you in your recovery. Thanks, as always, uh, Reverend Michelle, for our discussion. And thank you to all who are listening to the podcast via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and TuneIn. And I want to remind you to check out in the archive on unityonlineradio.org. There are several years of Spirit of Recovery podcast available to listen to anytime you choose. Mm-hmm. And as always, we bless you wherever you are on your recovery journey. And listeners, if you'd like, you can connect with us throughout the week on our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Drop us your thoughts and comments and feedback. We'd love to hear from you. And we invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central. And until then, don't drink like my co-host. And whatever you do, do not drink like my co-host. Instead, have yourself a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world.
Hello, I'm Dr. Stephen Farber, and I am an author, teacher, psychotherapist, and shamanic practitioner. On my podcast, Healing for Your Soul, I welcome some amazing guests and introduce you to some healing techniques like earth magic, working with nature and animals, and really getting to the heart of what is keeping you stuck. I want to help you deepen your spirituality and let go of blocks that are holding you back. Let me help you in this journey called life. Part of the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network, subscribe and follow wherever you get your podcasts so you don't miss an episode.